Being a feminist to me is a lot about taking ownership on my body and to challenge the male gaze. One event that helped me massively in my own personal journey is the Free the Nipple movement. I walked this march for the first time in 2018. Surrounded by hundreds of topless women, I walked the streets of Brighton to question the sexualisation of women's nipples and I felt incredibly powerful. In this episode, I'm talking to B Nichols, one of the organisers of Free the Nipple Brighton. We talk about the era we live in, a society in change post Me Too, about finding confidence and about choosing when to be sexualised. My name is Fanny Beckman, and this is Women of My Generation. honour to be up in your bed now. <laughs> I've just been crawling around on the floor, kind of taking photos of you, but it's a privilege to be up here. <laughs> Welcome. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, first of all, I just want to say that I'm really grateful to have you in my podcast. Because oh, uh, I know I speak for not only myself, but for a lot of people that Free the Nipple is such an incredible movement. And I know that it's kind of changed the way I look at my body. Because it's a lot about like taking ownership of your body, and to do that surrounded by loads of other people, kind of fighting for the same thing, and that was an incredible experience. And also, it's nothing to do with appearance, mm. with appearance, because that's really rare in today's society as well. Mm. Um, so thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. I'm very, very pleased to be here. Yeah. <laughs> um, but for those of our listeners who don't know much about like the Free the Nipple movement, uh, could you tell us a bit about that, um, both like in Brighton and kind of globally, if you know anything about that? Sure, yeah. So Free the Nipple asks a key question, and that is, why is it that men's nipples are seen as normal and unremarkable? when women's nipples are considered highly sexual and very indecent. Mm -hmm. So um, the movement, I guess, sort of formally began uh, in New York. Um, So that was back in 2012. Um, A woman called Lena Esco made a film called Free the Nipple. Um, So she filmed herself running through the streets of New York topless. I didn't know Um, that. Yeah, yeah. So that's how um, the sort of term was like coined and that sparked um, like an international movement mm-hmm. so um, in most places in America um, being topless is completely illegal whereas in the UK um, it's not actually illegal to be topless um, I'll get onto that later because yeah. the law is funny in this country yeah <laughs> um, so yes yeah, so the film kind of sparked the idea it posed the question and it yeah it put the debate out on the table and um, since then, yeah, the Free the Nipple movement is kind of worldwide. Lots of different splinter groups pop up here and there, of which Free the Nipple Brighton is one of them. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, Free the Nipple Brighton's like the biggest one in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, so, 
uh, do you want me to explain how that kind of started? Oh, or, yes, please. Yes. Mm. So, um, I think, well, the first time I kind of um, came across it was um, I went along to a march, and that was in um, 2016. So that was organised by a woman called Samantha Presti. In Brighton? Yeah. Mm. So she's um, an actress and she does a lot of work about like sex and bodies and feminism. Mm. And she organised a march. It was very anarchic. Mm. It was just started with like a Facebook event. And, yeah, yeah. and there was no sort of formal, I'd say like there wasn't like a central campaign message, I wouldn't say. But it was very like fun and exciting. And lots of people turned up and we, we went along the the seafront and then mm-hmm. we um we chilled out on the beach afterwards um and yeah after that um I um contacted her the following year just to ask when the next one was happening and she was mm. like there is no next one sorry I've moved away um, oh really yeah so and she was like why don't you do it mm. and um I was like no way <laughs> you know mm-hmm. how can I do this mm. um I have never done anything like this before, mm. um, and uh, yeah, so thought um, I I probably would say no, and then just thought about it for a while and thought actually, I can do events management. That's kind of the same, yeah. and marketing. I know how to do that, and I'm sure I could get other people to help me with the rest. Mm. And um, yeah, do so. you have like a background in events management or? Yeah, yeah so mm. I do. Um, I do, um, I work at the Chamber of Commerce at the moment, so mm. we, we organise a lot of events, mm. um, so that's like my day job, mm. um, but I also volunteer at the Brighton Women's Centre, yeah. and we put on fundraising events, yeah. so whether that be like music, gigs, mm. or like mm. comedy nights, yeah, yeah. or the International Women's Day mm. thing that happens at the Dome. Um, yeah, because I thought about that, um, I was trying to remember when the first time we met was, because we met uh, doing the Brighton Women's Centre's event at the Dome. Yeah. And we had a talk there together this year about, yeah. like, Free the Nipple and Women of My Generation. Mm. And, um, but that's the funny thing with Brighton, like, all feminists are kind of linked together. Yeah, and it's so nice. Yeah, the sisterhood yeah. is strong. Exactly. But I think we actually met at a march before that. I think we met at the Rise... March. Yeah, of yeah. course, yeah, I, yeah that's um, where we met. Yeah, <laughs> and um, I was there with the Women's Centre, but that was for, for Rise. Yeah. Um, but yeah, mm. I think it's nice that our paths have crossed all of these, like, cool and interesting exactly. feminist happenings. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. And <laughs> Rise UK, they help um, victims of domestic abuse. That's right, yeah. yeah. exactly. Yes, they're another brilliant organisation locally. So you started, um, or you kind of developed Free the Nipple Brighton and that was in 2017 then yes yeah, so yeah that's mm. when I properly got hold of it yeah. and um yeah I I put out a call for like help basically and assembled a bit of a crew um on social media or yeah, yeah so um yeah it it was mainly through Facebook at the time and um I yeah I got a, a group of um it's like a committee, really. So mm. that was like uh, videographers, photographers, uh, social media people, writers, mm. uh, party planners, um, people that were just interested in, in lending a hand. And then from there, we set up the website. We got like a really cool brand um, identity for the first year, which we've changed each year. Mm. And uh, set up an Instagram account. And um, yeah, I think in that first year, we we dealt with a lot of the big questions because uh, none of us really knew what we were doing and we didn't Mm. know. um, We wanted to be 
quite sort of rebellious and anarchic. Um, we also wanted to make sure it was safe. Mm. Um, we made some like big decisions about police involvement, for example, yeah. and um, stewarding and mm. ground rules and um, how we were going to be inclusive mm. um, of, for example, um, people with disabilities and mobility needs yeah. and um, the trans community, for example. Yeah, yeah. So we, we thrashed all that out mm. in that first year yeah. um, with lots of just really, um, really good discussions with lots of different kinds of people. Mm. So it was really good to nail that all down yeah, early yeah, on. Sure. And once that was kind of in place, mm. the um, second and third years, yeah. there was kind of less work to do in that respect. So. And what do you do to make it more inclusive? So it's it's um, a lot to do with the language that we use in our marketing, okay. mm. um, as well as, um, for example, the march is wheelchair accessible from start to finish, and it's quite mm. a short walk as well, so that people who can walk for a bit can do it. Mm. Um, we also wanted it to be pushchair friendly, because mothers have a really important um, role in yeah. Nepal, so um, and everyone who needs to take it a bit slower, they are at the front, aren't they? That's right. Yeah. yeah. So um, yeah. So we we try and make it so that the people that might move the slowest are at the front, so they yeah. set the pace of mm. the march. Mm. Um, we also have a really strict um, code of conduct and kind of it's almost like a risk assessment of how um, how to respond when we. Uh, sort of experience any behaviours that we don't agree with um, so yeah we've been trans inclusive you know since before day one you know yeah, everybody yeah. in the committee is um, we, you know we have trans um, people in the committee itself so we are um, we've made that very very clear from day one mm. um, so it's been a journey with making sure the language is right yeah. and making sure that um, you know, s- small things like um, talking about breastfeeding. Um, mm. it's, it's usually mothers, but it's not always mothers, for example. And um, just making sure that everything mm. like that is thought about. So um, yeah, and all genders are welcome in the march as well. Yeah, um, that cis men as well. Absolutely. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, feminism is for everyone, and mm. um, I think that this. I think the subject of like body confidence affects men in mm. some respects. Yeah, so yeah. it's good, I think, for for men to come for themselves for that reason, but also as allies, you yeah. know, and to to see, you know, what it means, what um, you know, liberation looks like, mm. what different kinds of bodies look like, yeah. Um, and yeah, to to walk down the street with women who can be topless in public for one day a year yeah. when they can mm. do it every day. Mm. Um, so, yeah. But also, men's nipples are more acceptable in society. And one thing that struck me when we walked in March, it was um, loads of people looking at us or filming um, who were not part of the march. And it was a lot of men wearing like wearing mm. nothing or being yeah. topless and they were laughing at us the irony, and filming eh? us yeah exactly yeah and it was a really hot summer's day and we did exactly what they were doing but we were seen as abnormal yeah mm. it's so weird that isn't it and yeah how that's that's what often really strikes me is how just unremarkable it is to see a man's nipple mm. you know on a sunny day 
They are everywhere. We were talking about like not being sexualized and breastfeeding. Yeah. Uh, and the hot topic as well is like social media mm-hmm. uh, when we are being censored. So the censorship mm-hmm. thing is really interesting, um, and so is the legal thing. So I'll talk about the online censorship thing first. Yeah. So um, when a um, person who has breasts um, posts up a picture on Facebook or Instagram with their nipples showing, mm. it's taken down or the person is banned, mm. usually. Um, I think that some um, cert- like some things seem to be slipping through the net. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that's because they're relaxing their rules or, or what it is. Um, but I've been banned myself. And it's actually, when I've sort of spoken to some people about it, it's been seen as sort of quite funny and quite, um, you know, the sort of naughty kid that broke the rules. Mm. But I think it's terrifying. Um, Facebook has a huge um, place in our society. And just at the drop of a hat, if they don't like what you're doing, just at, at literally just like that, they can take away your voice. Mm. They can take away your ability to communicate with people. Um, if you work in marketing, which um, a lot of my job involves marketing, yeah, yeah. including social media, I was suspended from Facebook so I can, you know, carry um, out those duties. Yeah, of course. And, um, you know, that's my income. Um, luckily it was fine, but you can't say in every situation it would be fine. No. And um, I, I honestly think that it's, um, it's, it's a dictatorship mm. and it's patriarchal mm. and... Um, I think Facebook really has a lot to answer for, for a lot of reasons. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, the the message that it sends to censor women's nipples and not men's nipples is that if you are um, a woman um, or you have breasts and your nipple is on show, you're a sex object. Mm. No matter what you're doing, you're a sex object. Whether you're feeding your child, you're a sex object. Whether you're sunbathing, swimming gardening, working mm. out, just trying to cool off. You are a sex object mm. and you will either be sexualized or you'll be shamed. You'll be seen as like, you know, titillating and um and you know, slutty and um and whatever, or you'll be disgusting mm. and gross. And that is a huge problem mm. because if um a woman puts herself in that situation mm. She has to then take responsibility for whatever society will throw at her yeah. as a result. So, you know, women are in danger from that attitude. Mm. Mm. Um, so it's a huge problem and it really needs dismantling um, majorly. So, yeah. And it's also interesting, like, what photos are allowed and what photos are not. Because I've seen there's been um, quite a big discussion about, like, some pornography being allowed mm. uh, as long as you don't show nipples but um but then uh, pictures of women taking ownership of their bodies yeah. and putting up something themselves that's been deleted yeah it's bizarre though yeah it? yeah i think that's what's missing is the context is um yeah it's all about context isn't it because nipples aren't sexual just on their own mm. so um and that, yeah, because I've heard you talk about free the nipple before, yeah. and um, there was one woman asking um, you a question about like 
should it always be wrong to sexualize your breasts and your yeah. nipples? Because she took pride in feeling se- sexy and having male attention sometimes. And I remember that you responded very well to that. So mm. could you just share, share those opinions again? Yeah, I mean, it's a great point because, um, you know, we are sexual beings and, like, sex is great and mm. most people really enjoy having sex and um, it's a big part of our, our lives and our culture and there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. The issue with um, the, the sexualization of women's nipples is that it's compulsory. Mm. So... Um, we don't get to choose when we're sexual. Mm. We are viewed as inherently sexual all of the time. Yeah. And and that is a problem. And I think that men often can, you know, be sexual and they're not sexual. Mm. And they aren't just forever kind of tarred with 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 the brush yeah, of, yeah. that comes with that, the stigma around sex. Mm. And if you take, for example, um, I can't actually remember where it was. I think it was in the UK, but the there was a teacher who shared a topless photo of herself with her boyfriend, who was a colleague at school. Okay. And um, and she um, she got uh, fired. Really. Because all the students found out. So um, in that situation, she was being sexual in private, mm. but her employer was not ever able to deal with her after that because mm. she had um yeah the students had found out and there was no there was no option for her to ever be seen as not sexual mm. after that whereas the man yeah what happened to him no- nothing, nothing. <laughs> literally he wasn't named in the press nothing oh. um so i think that's quite a good example of the double standard um so yeah, I was going to mention earlier about the legal situation about um, about nipples in the yeah, UK. Yeah, yeah, please do. So um, it's really interesting actually because, um, like I said earlier, being topless in the UK is not illegal. No. But it feels illegal, right? Yeah, There's yeah. something that feels like so, um, st- yeah, it feels like very, very naughty and very mm. kind of scandalous about, about being topless. But mm. um, it's not a crime. Um mm. It is a crime to flash. Mm-hmm. So if somebody perceives you to be flashing, they can report you. And what and, does that mean? Well, so you know, kind of exposing yourself. Um, mm. If someone, if someone kind of like perceives you to be doing that, then 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 yeah, you can potentially get in legal trouble because of that. But actually, you know, just sunbathing topless for example yeah. you could never get arrested for that mm. um, so almost every part of the legal um, ramifications of being topless is to do with like our culture and to do mm-hmm. with how we perceive what's going on mm. which I think is just it's just mad isn't yeah, it yeah. Um, and actually I think it's quite good because um, it means there's not a huge roadblock in our way mm. it means that you know, we can actually just, we can deal with the attitudes yeah. and chip away at that, and there doesn't need to be a huge mm. change. Um, Sometimes it is really difficult to deal with the attitudes. I just remember is. this summer I was sunbathing on the beach with a couple of friends, mm. and we were all topless, and then um, one of my friends, she noticed a guy walking past, uh, either filming or taking photos of us, and you don't know how to deal with it. Deal with it. We just, like, tried to shout, at him and there were other people around us who reacted but it's so difficult and it's such a shame that we are the ones who have to like 
educate other people. Yeah. When it's their attitude that needs to be changed. But also, if we don't say anything, who will? Definitely. Mm. And it's it's so rubbish that you have to, in order to confront the social norm, you have to just kind of put yourself in that firing line yeah, and deal yeah. with, you know, weirdos filming you on the beach. Mm. You know, that's such an invasion of privacy. Mm. And had that been a deserted beach and it was just you and one creepy man, mm. I'm sure you'd have felt very unsafe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, I think there's a long way to go, but, um, yeah, I think the good news is that um, with movements like this, we can start chipping away at it. Yeah. And hopefully, um, you know, nipples will just be as unremarkable mm. as an elbow, you know, yeah. like they are in some other cultures. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, we're living in a really interesting time, and I feel like... Um, there are lots of issues, but also there's many of us who who raise awareness of it, both on social media and the whole like body positivity mm. movement. And also, we have to mention Me Too and how much that has changed the society mm. we live in. Or has it changed anything? It's kind of we don't really know that because it's still so early. Um, but also, still in some countries, women are asked what they were if like doing a rape or sexual yeah. assault and that is horrible again mm. that's kind of linked to what we talked about earlier about like when to be sexualized uh, yeah and, and us having to take responsibility if if somebody else perceives us to be sexual and mm. it's an open invitation mm. then we have to take we have to shoulder the blame for that yeah yeah and, exactly yeah, it's deeply unfair mm. It's, yeah, it's so deeply rooted in in our society as well. Like, I know myself that sometimes I think twice before I wear something challenging, mm. or and that shouldn't be the case at all. No, absolutely. Mm. But do you think that Me Too will or has changed um, or changed the society? And I think that I think it has in um, in as much that. I, as a feminist and somebody that loves to chat about this sort of thing, I, my eyes were opened to mm. the scale of what was going on, certainly with regards to like Hollywood and like mm. Harvey Weinstein and so on. Um, and that, I think, is really, really important to, to understand the problem and understand the extent of the issue. And certainly... I'd say that there were a lot of other people who maybe weren't as involved in feminism or those kinds of conversations who had even less of an idea than I did mm. about what was going on, mm. and that can only be a good thing. Yeah. That, you know, those stories are out there and that the stigma around um, sharing those stories is partly being reduced, I hope. Yeah, and the fear of not being believed, that's always been a massive thing. Yeah, or mm. just sort of, you know, you, you don't want to wear the badge mm. um, of, um, you know, I, I remember at the time um, of the Harvey Weinstein stories that were coming out, um, a lot of women said, um, I, you know, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't want to say anything because I didn't want that to be the question I got asked in every single interview for the rest of my life. Mm. Um, it, it's it's a stigma that women have to um, have to sort of bear the burden of um, mm. because of our society's attitudes to sex, and it's very it's very upsetting that. But I don't know. I feel like that. I feel like 
there's change in the air. Yeah. I feel like the base level of knowledge and understanding about these subjects mm. um, is improving. Yeah. And that can only be a good thing. Yeah. Um, there are still a lot of people who flippantly say things about Me Too and so on. And when I hear them say that, I silently think, you know, I don't think I would want anyone to go and work for you. No. Um, and you silently make a decision, don't you? You just think, exactly. okay, I, I know that in that situation, if that happened, you you might side with the oppressor, so I'm not mm. going to. Um, and also I've heard some men saying that they don't really know how to act around women now mm. uh, because they are they are scared that they will be accused for something. I've heard them say, oh, can I even hug women now? <laughs> um, and that's, if you have thoughts like that, then there's probably some kind of other problem underlying it. And <sighs> yeah, I think it's funny, isn't it? Because I think, so, I do understand that um, when discussions are going on around feminism and there's a lot of anger and there's a lot of sort of difficult... Um, difficult kind of subjects being tossed about I think that some men some good men will probably feel worried about saying the wrong thing in mm. certain situations and and you know I get that I think that belonging to the you know the part the the part of society that you know kind of is the problem is mm. the dominant side is the oppressive side um which which that's men in a patriarchy, yeah. so it doesn't mean that every single man is responsible, but it means that that group of people is generally the group with the power. Yes. I think if you belong to that group and you know you are interested in feminism, you're probably going to be worried about saying the wrong thing or yeah. coming off wrong. Mm. That's, that's sort of one thing. Mm. But yeah, these men who are just very, very um, concerned about their right to flirt yeah, and stuff yeah, like that, exactly. it's just exhausting. And mm. it's so funny how people... Um, often feel like they're being oppressed when their privilege is being uh, challenged. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah sure. <laughs> it's hilarious. Mm. But um, yeah, hopefully we can. You know, those people are maybe nearing retirement yeah. age. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> well, I mean, it's all about consent and like asking questions. Mm. And don't think men should be uh, fear like or be scared of asking um, too many questions mm. in that sense. Like. If you are worried, then just ask, is it right if I yeah. if I give you a hug or is it right if I do this and that? Like, that's not a problem. Um, Definitely. And I think consent as a concept is something that um, a lot of people need a mm. little bit of education on because just this kind of... Um, there's a lot of sort of coercive behaviour and power... Um, power dynamics that goes on at mm. work and um, and also like in sort of sexual relationships mm. and um, you know enthusiastic yes is yeah. what everybody needs every single time yeah um, you know just because someone isn't explicitly saying no if they bloody look uncomfortable exactly then, you know you know yeah. that they don't want a hug no. or yeah. want a lift home yeah, or yeah. whatever so yeah yeah mm. Yeah, it's so easy to see in, like, body language. And yeah. Yeah. I saw... I, <laughs> I d are you on LinkedIn? Yeah, I am, right. yeah. It's a funny old place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I used to work in um, sales, so I, I, I've been on it for a long time. Um, and now I just go in there for, like, almost, like, 
just to kind of people watch. Yeah. <laughs> um, but somebody posted something the other day saying a bloke um, who runs his own business um, posted a status saying that he um, overheard two women having lunch together mm. and they were chatting and he, he was listening in on their conversation and they said that they had to arrange to meet for lunch in the dining room and sit together because if they went into the dining room and sat alone, men would come up to them and start flirting with them. So in order, really? Yeah, so in order to have um, a peaceful lunch, they had to arrange to coordinate to avoid getting harassed. Um, and he, this chap on LinkedIn, was, was then posing the question, um, you know, do these women um, have a right to feel like that? Mm. And... Um, are they being a little bit oversensitive because flirting is just a bit of fun for everyone mm. um, and has all this, you know, gone a bit too far. And, uh, oh, that's a classic. Yeah, Fun has gone too far. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just opened my popcorn and just read the comments and mm. was, like, laughing my head off. Um, but, yeah, it's so, um, it's so interesting how men feel that, like, their need to just have a little flirt, you know, they're probably married, they're probably mm. whatever, um, but their need to just, like, have a little ego fluff yeah. is more important than um, than a woman's right to just eat lunch in peace. Yeah, yeah. And have a genuine break from her workload. Um, so, yeah, I think it, it, it's all part of what makes the workplace just still very much patriarchal space. Mm. And so that true. women are kind of in there just... Um, they're not in there. They, yeah, they're almost. They almost don't have a right to be there unless mm. they're kind mm. of. I don't know, being a good sport and playing along and kind of being a little bit flirty and yeah. a little bit, whatever. And the fact that people are saying that equality's gone too far. Like, <laughs> that's not even possible. Like equality is. <laughs> yeah, equality is equality. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you can't go too far. That's so and it true. Isn't equal. Yeah. <laughs> What's too equal? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so it's so interesting. I I think I I hope that um, privilege just makes people look a bit like blind and deaf to things and hopefully um as time goes on people will sort of realize their their place of privilege and and, and understand that they need to give a little bit of ground in yeah. order to actually help yeah um but yes it mm. is it's rather um, maddening sometimes mm. isn't it but before we started recording this we talked a bit like about social media mm. and this project is called women of my generation but it's obviously not just our generation like women in the 20s or 30s that mm. struggle with body image or confidence um and since pretty much the 60s we've been surrounded by advertisement quite a lot of sexism in in um both um that time and and still is unfortunately um but how how can we do, or what can we do to prevent it from happening for the younger generation? Because what we talked about, social media being a platform both for body positivity, but also for influencers doing, like, advertisement for detox teas and stuff like mm. that. Um, I know they have, they have started um, doing, like... Um, they started banning certain content from social media. Right. Um, so in terms of dieting and stuff yeah. like that um but yeah 
do you have any thoughts about what we can do? Yeah, I mean, the social media thing is really, really hard because, mm. like you say, it can be such a force for good mm. and it can be such a nice place to meet people and to um, you can really filter your feed with like really like positive messages. Mm. But it can be quite overwhelming, can't it? And um, I need to take regular breaks from social media and oh, yeah. I'm pretty much... I'm pretty much over Facebook now. Um, mm. I still go on Instagram. Um, but yeah, it's very... I think it... You sort of have this never-ending sort of FOMO. And mm. even when... Um, even when it is very positive and feminist and um, inclusive, sometimes even that feels a little bit overwhelming because not everybody has the capacity every day to be the best feminist that they can yeah, be. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, we do feel a bit crappy and mm. we don't we don't feel like we wanna um we don't wanna talk about feeling great or feeling empowered or feeling powerful mm. and and that in itself can be a little bit um overwhelming. But yeah, I think in terms of what um I think might help the next generation mm. I um I want to see um diversity everywhere. Yeah. And in an intersectional sense, mm-hmm. I want to see all walks of life being represented doing everything. Yeah. Because that is normal life, isn't mm. it? When you walk down the street you see all walks of life and that I'm talking about um people from different parts of the world from um, different heritages, Mm. um, people with different kinds of bodies. Mm. I want to see, um, you know, ageing women on TV. Yeah, yeah, Um, I want to see ugly women on TV. Mm. Mm. Um, I want to see working class people doing interesting things Mm. and having rich and fulfilled lives. Because we all, you know, there is... TV is so unbelievably undiverse Mm. and I even think that a lot of online spaces on Instagram and YouTube are also not very diverse and Mm. it just um even when and one aspect of diversity is is seen to Mm. you still quite often just get sort of young beautiful people yeah um so I think it's it's really I think that would be a huge cultural shift mm. to um, to just put ordinary people yeah. um, on our screens and um, in our like social mm. um, social media spaces, yeah. um, so that we can actually see that like ordinary people can can you know can have decent lives mm. and make important choices. Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, I think that would be yeah. the. And also that's a key thing that you said, that doing uh, interesting things as well mm. um, and not just being an object posing. Yeah. Um, like show people doing sports or yeah. actively doing that things. Um, Definitely. And and I think if the, if the actual... If it's a, I'll just take TV, for example. If the mm. actual produce, producers and mm. the production teams and the board members... Yeah. And the like executive teams, if those are also d- diverse, mm. it's not the kind of white upper middle class mm. male establishment yeah. just kind of hand picking these you know token diversity characters yeah, to just yeah. like stuff into to TV programs mm. um you know that that's not right yeah um I think if I think diversity needs to be like 
through and through yeah, so, that, yeah, <laughs> yeah. so that it's authentic mm. and um yeah so that um so that the platforms and the voices being heard um are properly intersectional yeah and that's another interesting thing like i've seen research showing that in photos that men usually look away from the camera like running or being active right while women are often like sat down on a chair and posing it's much softer light compared mm. to like men often black and white it's cool yeah um, i can believe that yeah yeah we've seen that before yeah um so again uh, having diversity everywhere would improve that i think yeah um, just th- more awareness as well definitely I saw a, a project a while ago and um, some women cut out all of the pictures of people out of the sun for like six months or something. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a huge project. And then they put the, they made a, a big kind of gallery wall of all of the people and they put the, the men on one side and the women on the other side. Yeah. And um, after the, I can't remember how long they did it for, um, after, after a, a period of time they kind of reviewed... Mm. they had and um on the right hand side that the women um it was just a sea of flesh Mm. and um you know really beautiful women um and in passive positions yeah not talking not doing anything um and then on the left there were men of every age um of every walk of life Mm. um, doing things playing sport you know going to work yeah um running, talking, mm, mm, jumping mm. up and down, driving, yeah. Um, and yeah, the difference was astounding, and um, yeah, I think we all kind of expect the sun to be a bit sexist, um, but it is a hugely popular newspaper, mm. and um, those, it's sort of like subliminal messaging, isn't it? it yeah, just, sure. it, it lays, it reinforces an idea, mm. and um, you know, that's in hundreds of thousands of people's hands every single day yeah but I definitely feel like um there is something changing as well both in like the fashion industry uh and more people are more woke and aware of the problem Mm. so hopefully we will see a change soon fingers crossed yeah I hope that it just becomes really unacceptable to be anything other Um, Mm. I think you know as as these ideas like gain wider understanding the the bar of tolerance just gets moved a little bit further on each time doesn't it and, mm. and eventually you know things that were acceptable when my grandparents were my age mm. um you know they are no longer acceptable now no yeah and that's happened in a, in a single lifetime so hopefully yeah. when we're um, wrinkly old women um you know we'll be having to explain to the younger generations what free the nipple is and why it even had to happen in the first exactly. place. Exactly, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think that will happen. I hope so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, um, thank you so much again, B, for thank being you. part of this. My pleasure. Uh, yeah. And we'll end there. Okay. <laughs> oh, that was really interesting to listen to B sharing all her knowledge. And I've learned a lot. I actually didn't know how the whole movement started. And I'm really happy that B educated me on that. I hope you enjoyed our conversation just as much and that you've had some eye-openings as well. If you want to learn more, you can visit their website, which is freethenipplebrighton.wordpress.com. 
or you can check out them on social media. So both on Instagram and Facebook, you can find them under Free the Nipple Brighton. You can also find uh, contact details from for them there. Uh, so if you want to get involved in next year's March or have any thoughts on how they can improve, then please get in touch with them because they are all so, so lovely. Also, if you have any thoughts on this episode, feel free to drop me a line on my Instagram, which is Feckman, so F-E-C-K-M-A-N. And please subscribe to my podcast to get the latest episodes. Right, I think that's a wrap for now, but I will speak to you soon. Bye. Headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com